0: Hey guys, Matt here. As you'll no doubt be able to tell, we recorded this episode a few days before the election. So uh, some of our information is a little stale, but we figured because there were so much other insight and and valuable ideas in the episode, we figured we'd go ahead and post
1: it anyway. So enjoy. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to the 52nd episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Oren Kaplan.
0: And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we're answering a couple of great listener questions about drumming up business and networking, and also talking about how to stop procrastinating. I can't wait to learn about how to stop procrastinating, but I've got a couple things to attend to first. Most importantly, Oren, what have you been working on lately?
1: So I have finished Call of Duty, the video, we talked about Congratulations. that Congratulations!
0: Right, yeah, time. yeah, I saw that. That's great. That'll be up on the show notes.
1: Thanks. Yeah, it launched on Funnier Diet. It was crazy because in, when you work on video games that are rated M for mature, the rules are just so, so specific about what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do. And I don't know if you've ever been to like a video game website, but if it's like a, a mature one, they'll ask you what your birth date is. Because they need to be behind what they call an age gate, which anyone can cheat on, but they at least need to say like legally, you can't look at this if you're under 18 or under 16 or whatever age it is. So because the video that we made just goes on FunnyOrDie.com and there's no age gate, we had to remove all the swearing, which they had asked us to add into the video to make it seem more adult and edgy. We had to like undo all of that swearing, beep things out. And we had all this awesome game footage of this guy playing the game and killing people. And they made us remove all of the killing from the video game. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and it's a
0: game about killing people. Yeah,
1: Call of Duty. Can you imagine Call of Duty without like shooting?
0: That's That's pretty... just duty. Well, you know, it's a thing that we talk about on this podcast all the time. But part of our job is just trying to think of all of the different ways in which a client could be sensitive to something that we normally take for granted so right. i think the, the extreme example is a video game about killing people you can't show any video game deaths that's pretty incredible but like that sort of stuff happens you
1: know yeah like all the time not many people can say their friends are the best in the world and i'm not saying that mine are at one point or another all of them have tried to date my sister but they are the best when it comes to playing call of duty when we're playing, my team always has each other's backs. All five of us move as one. We're like an oil well machine. Damn it, Jimmy. A well oiled machine. See? With Infinite Warfare coming out November 4th, we really need to take our teamwork to the next level. That means we need to become a multiplayer team in real life. So, we'll see. That was the first thing I directed for Funnier Die. I think they seemed pretty happy with it. I kind of, the feedback I got was that. I was very easy to work with, and I did not need a lot of help, which I think, people, you know, we'd like to think that producers hire directors that make good stuff, but ultimately they hire directors that are really easy to work with. And if they can give you a script and a line producer and you come back with a finished product without them having to put out fires all the time, then they tend to like you a lot and they'll probably hire you again. So, yeah, so we'll see. Hopefully, I'll do some more work for them. I don't know. Do you think. Like if you, the first time you direct something for a production company, do you email them afterwards and say, hey, you know, I I had a really good time. Please keep me in mind for future projects. Or do you think that's just kind of implied?
0: Uh, No, I think that's
1: worth doing. I think also I've become
0: more particular about when I'm sending out uh, a cut, whether it's a locked cut or that rough draft of telling them why I'm excited about it. Because uh, sometimes it's a it's an easy way to highlight. Hey, guys! Like this; these are the things that we nailed that were a challenge. And so, giving people obvious reasons why uh, they think your video was good, in addition to it being professional and easy to work with and and fun, like that's just more ammunition for them. And you just you're just giving them reasons to like working with you and to like the video and to repeat that to other people. Like you don't know their boss is not probably going to be like. Like, oh, how'd that video turn out? And if you've given them like six things
1: to say and they say a couple of those, that makes
0: you look good as well.
1: Yeah. And for me, this is actually kind of like an an idea from my wife, Kara, is that I try to edit the first video I direct for another company because one, obviously, I think it comes out closer to what I want it to be and I can fix it problem areas that an editor that is not me probably wouldn't spend as much time working on. And number two is I can like turn around the notes really, really fast and Mm -hmm. be involved in all the notes. Mm -hmm. So I think that was like another advantage for this project. Hopefully, like future things I direct for them will be cut by someone else. But on my first few things, it's nice to just be really deep into the editing process.
0: Yeah, well, all that time that you're spending that maybe you wouldn't normally be paid for that's all investing in your career with that company yeah so i think that's super smart right so matt what have you been working on lately yeah i've been super busy i've got a handful of branded projects you know it's a sort of when it rains it pours situation and the reason that i find the end of the year is always especially busy is because i don't know if you're aware of this orin but The way that most ad agencies and media buy companies work is that they get a budget allocated to them for the fiscal year, right? And then typically, if they don't spend all of that money, then when their bosses are reviewing the budgets and allocating that money for the next fiscal year, they just kind of assume, oh, this brand doesn't need such a big budget because they didn't even bother spending all of it. So right. there's there's always a scramble at the very end for brands to just kind of spend a, like any extra money that they have. And oftentimes they'll just throw that into, you know, a digital project or a, a cheap commercial if they can.
1: And that applies to filmmaking too. You know, one of the first things you learn when you move to Hollywood is try not to come too far under budget because right. people will think that you work for cheaper than they gave you, you know. And we're always, I think as filmmakers always pushing for bigger budgets so that we get more time, more toys, more production value. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, I think this is just kind of a time where you try and
0: cash in and do as many great projects as you possibly can and then just hunker down and get ready to write all of December and January because I probably won't get a phone call for a branded job, you know, till March maybe. We'll see. Right, because typically what ends up happening is everyone like rushes to the finish line and then when they do have those new fresh budgets, those January budgets, they're very precious and selective about what they're going to start green lighting for that year. And so right. the cycle just begins all over again. Yeah,
1: cool, yeah. Actually, I've, I've not gotten that many calls this uh, last week. I'm working more on like relationships and companies. Right. You li- you literally just posted a branded video, like literally we just talked. about Oh yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. No, I I guess I have. I guess it hasn't been pouring, but I'm happy. There's a lot of good stuff on the horizon. <laughs> anyway, that there's not. I'm going to give you a hard time. There's
0: not. There, that is the perfect example of the director's mindset. I'm guilty of that all the time. Where I'll be like, oh god, I'm so stressed out. I uh, I haven't worked in in a day forever. Yeah, yeah forever. <laughs> and it's like, oh, like my wife will be like, um,
1: you you just had a color session like this morning. Yeah, but when you're in post, it's like that doesn't count as work. That just counts as like getting closer to the end, <laughs> getting closer to not being paid again. <laughs> well, it's uh, I guess we're we're lucky that we're working a fair amount, and maybe some time off is good for me.
0: Yeah, sounds like it. Cool, man. Well, let's hop
1: into this
0: show.
1: Oren, you've got a listener question for us, huh? Yes. So we have a couple listener questions. The first one comes from James McCammon. I think I'm saying that correctly. He says, Hey, Matt and Orin, thanks for the show. You've mentioned a few times that while learning film production, PA work and extra work is quite valuable, and it's pretty easy to sign up for central casting and get on some sets. But I was wondering if there's an equivalent service for PA hiring. Let me know. What's the LinkedIn of PA work? And so is there a LinkedIn for PA work, Matt? Boy, that's a complicated question. Well, there is, you know, Mandy.com, right, which people
0: I know kind of have good luck with. I personally have hired PAs from PA Bootcamp, which is kind of like, I think, like a weekend class or a couple-week class that will kind of teach you everything you need to know about being a PA. And then because they have this reputation as a as a place where they produce good PAs, they will kind of help place people in those early positions, maybe where they're unpaid, or it's an
1: internship or something like that, basically to kind of get them on the ground and moving. Right. And we might have covered this before on the podcast, but what do you think makes a good PA? I think there's the kind of the people that just moved to LA and hear that you can work as a PA think that you don't need to know anything, that you could just throw any person, oh, my nephew just moved to LA. He wants to work in the industry. Can he PA for you? Is there such a thing as a good PA versus a uh, not good PA?
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think the the main thing that differentiates a good PA from bad PA is really just um, how strong your observation skills are. Right, like when you first step onto a set, you don't know what you're doing, you you know, you don't know if you need a headset or who does what, or like you, all the terminology, filmmaking is filled with like terminology that feels like it's designed to exclude you. And that maybe is kind of the case. I don't know, sometimes that jargon is just like, so silly to me. But the trick is just to always be as alert as possible and to think ahead as best you can, right? And to find a buddy, right? Like there's always going to be like your head PA or someone who's there to like look out for you or at least kind of explain the way things work and loves to kind of show you the ropes. Those guys are all all over the place because like, you know, they were you not that long ago, right? So if you show a lot of hustle, right, and are willing to work super hard and show people that, I think that's
1: the key to being a good PA. Yeah, and your boss is the key set PA, right? And his or her boss is the first AD. Is that yeah,
0: kind of the, I think that's the, uh, the hierarchy,
1: right? Yeah, I think you know on my sets, um, I'm
0: lucky to have uh, a set PA or a key PA. Yeah, the hi- the hierarchy I think kind of becomes a little bit more complicated depending on how big the show is.
1: Right, but usually it comes down from the AD department. Right. Yeah, so I think you know there's kind of the stereotype that as a PA you. You're just like bringing coffees and everyone's yelling at you and it's like a lot of hard work. And then when I first started working, I was like, oh, that's not true. You can just kind of sit down and hang out with the crew and have a real good time. (laughs) But then the longer I worked in Hollywood, I realized actually the best PAs are the ones. Sure, you can hang out and you can joke and you can have a good time, but don't like disappear to the restroom for like an hour or go like take a phone call outside or just sit down for a while. Like in general, it's not great to see like a PA just like lounging around, you know, Yeah, it's like part one of your jobs is to see in every movie production, something needs to be done at all times. And I, I think it's like your job as the PA to try to figure out what is being done now, what's coming up next and how you can, as a human being, be helpful for that. Whether it's yeah. setting up lunch because we're about to break for lunch or getting some paper towels because we're about to do like a blood gag or, you know, bringing heaters because like all the extras are really cold or emptying out the trash can. Like, like you can see the really, really good PAs are like constantly like looking around set to see what they can do. And I yeah. think that's, if you're, if you're that type of PA, then you totally excel. Yeah, I, I would say like, as a director,
0: like, I like to get my hands dirty, right? So, like, your joke about, like, the the blood gag, that's a perfect example of where I would be, like, you know, in there with, like, the prosthetics and, like, I would end up, like, covered in blood or something like that or an actor would end up covered in blood. And the best is when you realize, like, oh, man, I didn't really plan to get covered in blood and now here I am. And then you turn around and there's a PA with not just a handful of paper towels but the role with them, like, that mm-hmm. sort of foresight Easy. And some wet wipes. Some wet wipes, yeah. Just just kind of thinking ahead. And it's funny how it's easy to get lulled into the sense of like, well, there's nothing for me to do because no one, I didn't ask that person to stand by with some paper towels necessarily. But like the observant person and the, the forward-thinking person is the person who kind of swoops in there and, and does such a great job. You know? Right. So, and if
1: those paper towels aren't needed, then you don't need to be like, hey, I brought these paper towels uh, even though you didn't need them like right like the idea is that you are just like thinking ahead and you'll be appreciated for that but not really interjecting <laughs> more than necessary right so um, it's about being prepared really right like yeah have like
0: a utility tool like have some sort of blade have some sort of pliers have some sort of uh, screwdriver have a pair of gloves and right. like like i've seen pas who will like keep like a walkie battery in their back pocket so, like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, when when someone's like, "Oh shoot," you know, my walkie's not working. Whoop! There they are with that extra battery. You know, it's, it's that's very,
1: of- very, very nice if you have a driver's license. <laughs> <laughs> it's essential. It's essential. I would say in Los yeah, Angeles, I've had You a can few get away without don't. it. Yeah, but yeah, but none of this answers Jim's question, which is, <laughs> "How do you get PA work?" You know, the answers to these questions are never satisfying <laughs> because they're always the same. Which is, you know meet people tell them that you want to work on their stuff and they probably won't call you until one of them does right you know i just got someone a client of mine that i worked with on a couple projects a couple years ago just emailed me and said hey my nephew just moved here from mexico and he's like does he's a filmmaker and he wants to pa on work and he pa on your projects." and i said uh sure i'll keep him in mind if anything comes up Nothing came up. She emailed me again like a month later. Hey, Oren, just reminding you, this guy's available. You know, ultimately, I'll probably end up bringing him if, you know, I happen to be in pre-production and she bugs me again about him. I'll probably tell the producer his name and there's like a 50% chance that he'll show up on set. So I think kind of what James did, obviously, it was a question, but he also, I think, was saying, hey, I'm a PA and (laughs) I need work. So maybe we'll uh, see if we can get him on one of our sets yeah absolutely and and i would
0: also say i was a terrible pa and it wasn't until i lucked my way into climbing the ranks that i realized how bad i was and so you know don't beat yourself up over
1: any of that stuff and just try to be smarter than me basically not too hard yeah anyway so cool so hopefully we gave some sort of useful answer i don't know just you know, meet people, talk to people at Craigslist, Mandy. It sucks in the beginning, but once it starts working out, and you're a, a good PA, every other job is really easy to get. Yeah, right? I think it it really comes down to just finding that crew of people that you click with,
0: right? So volunteering with them, you know, once you do a great job on a set or two, then you start getting referrals, and you just kind of fall in step with a crew that continues to work. So just do a little bit of, um, you know, networking do some volunteer work. Film schools are great, right? Like, Oren, like, you got your start just volunteering on AFI sets, right? So I think that that's a really great way to do it. And then you can kind of climb the ladder relatively quickly, right? Like, a smart person Mm -hmm. who's, like, available, you know, will start as a PA and end up as an associate producer like
1: like that. Right. Yeah, we had Carlin Hudson on our podcast, and she kind of started, I think, doing little production jobs like that and ended up, you know getting co-producer credits on like Richard Linklater movies like within a couple years so it's pretty awesome it can happen yeah my first few PA gigs that I had were from through AFI I had some friends that were studying there and I just worked for free and then I had a roommate that was a camera assistant and I whenever she worked on a job that she was friends with the producers she would ask them if they would hire me and that was cool that's where I got fired my first time um, mm-hmm. Anyway, so we have another question, kind of. It's actually from our editor, Eric Kripow. He wrote to us and told us that he's starting a production company slash trailer house. So I think right now their bread and butter is cutting trailers for movies, mainly Christian family movies, but they are definitely open to everything. It just happens to me that that's the client they have. Their website, did you check it out? Flashpoint.io. Yeah, it looks good, Eric. Well done. Yeah, it's a really cool looking site. It has uh, a bunch of trailers they cut. And he says, you know, we'd like to branch out beyond the wheelhouse by cutting other kinds of trailers. Do you guys know anyone that needs a trailer for their movie? We're looking for content to build out our company and our resume. And so I thought that this was kind of interesting to talk about on the podcast because I think this is a super typical thing. Like if you're an editor or a filmmaker or a director, you either move to LA or you don't, but you and your friends start, you know, you've edited a few things. Like a cousin asks you to edit something or a friend asks you to edit a trailer for uh, their movie. And it turns out pretty good. And you're like, Hey, I can, you know, while we're like working on our careers, let's run this company where we're editing and directing and making things for other people. And then the question is like, well, how do we get clients? Right. And so I think that there's a, it, again, it's kind of a similar answer to the previous question, which is meeting people. But I think there's a lot of things that you can do to to kind of build up your portfolio. Did you ever do that, Matt? Did you ever like team up with some people and say, hey, we'll we'll do production stuff for you? Or are you kind of have been independent in your whole career?
0: I, I was independent. and I also ended up getting job jobs. I think that that's kind of oh, the right. core differences. I hadn't been freelancing in my youth. Like I was a little too nervous to try it and didn't, I was like so freaked out about student loans. Like having like student loans plus rent, I just wasn't confident that I would be able to make a living doing that. So I went and got the job job. So I wasn't quite so good at um, kind of doing the cold emailing and networking that that Eric seems to be excelling at.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, so I did a lot of that. I, you know, my first and a paid gig was doing a commercial for my aunt's defibrillator company and through that I got like a CPR training video and I just started every time I would talk to anyone they'd be like what are you up to and I'd say oh I'm cutting this big you know $20,000 video that I also directed and produced and so I think the more I mean what you're what Eric's doing is great is just talking about the fact that mm-hmm. he has a company yeah. not to be shy I mean every time you go to a birthday party Talk to people, if anyone's in the industry, just saying, hey, you know, if you guys ever need editors or anything, I have a a post house and we've edited a ton of things. We've done mainly trailers and music videos, but we can do commercials. We can do anything. I think it's, you know, a lot of that self-promotion. I think it's easy because you're not saying, hey, I'm this amazing person as much as you're saying, hey, you know, you can rely on me as a resource. Yeah. Obviously making a website, having a company name, doing all Mm -hmm. those things that you can blast out to people is helpful and then the last thing that it's super obvious but just does not hurt at all is just like leveraging your your personal social media right so going on facebook and saying hey just so you know i have this company it's called flashpoint we do editing and if you or anyone you know needs any help you know check out our site and if you like our work you know hire us well you know we're a growing company so we'll give competitive Mm -hmm rates at this point there and then just keep just do that every few weeks there's like no shame in doing that and of course promote your company whenever you cut something new hey we just put out this new trailer i you, you guys know anyone that needs a trailer let us know
0: yeah and talking about why you're proud of it i think is always good again it comes down to like giving people a reason to like the thing you know or telling them why they like it right. but i think eric's doing two things that i really love the first right is that he is reaching out to his network right like he, eric helped us out like in the beginning we weren't paying him to edit he reached out to us he said hey we love the show i love the show like i want to help and that has in turn grown into something bigger right and we were amongst the first people that he talked to to be like hey like i want to grow this thing right yeah and we we have incentive to help him out right because he's helped us out and because he's doing a great job and then the other big thing is that that website looks professional and great. So when, you know, someone approaches me and asks me like, oh, I need a like a trailer cut. Do you know anyone? I don't feel embarrassed pointing them to this website. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like that's the other thing that when, when you're asking someone to refer you for jobs, you have to make that person look good, right? Like no one's going to refer you if like – they're going to be embarrassed in some way by the work that you do. So if you're lazy or if you don't pay attention or if your website looks bad or any other unprofessional sort of symptom, any one of those things is a reason for someone to second guess whether or not they want to bring you up in conversation. Right.
1: And I mean, I guess if I had to give one piece of critique to Eric is that the first time he reached out to us, he didn't even mention that they had a website. And I think... That's the type of thing that you just got to put front and center to make you seem legitimate, you know. And by the way, it's not just Eric's company. he runs it with a, another guy named Daniel who we know pretty well and a guy named Cameron, I'm assuming it's a guy. Cameron can be a girl's name, I guess. could be. Yeah, so I don't know I, I think it's awesome. I think you know work begets work as we all know and uh, that's awesome. So check out Eric's website, flashpoint.io. Well done.
0: And if you have pointers for Eric and ways that he can go ahead and grow his business, things that have worked
1: for you, would love to talk about them. Drop us a line at justshootitpod at gmail.com or on Twitter. So I was going to prepare something for this next topic of conversation, but I never really got around to it. Um, what, what's the next you, topic? Uh, procrastination. Oh, I fucked up your joke. I'm uh, so sorry. It's, it's fine. No, that's fine. I think that's part of the charm of this podcast is you (laughs) always messing up everything I say. (laughs) Just kidding. Yeah. So I wanted to talk a little bit about procrastination because, you know, we mentioned a few minutes ago that every once in a while things are slow. And by slow, I mean like we haven't been hired to do something for a couple of days. And at least I know very well that I should just be sitting down. I should go to a coffee shop, write some things down. I should, you know, Figure, like, call my manager, call production companies, get things going. But instead, I just kind of like hang out at home. I have lunches with friends. And I know we've talked about that development. Yeah. Well, kind of. I'm kind of enjoying it, but I'm kind of feeling guilty the entire time. Mm, Yeah, Uh, sure. And I think that's the difference between procrastination and. And vacation. vacation. Yeah. <laughs> as the procrastination is taking a vacation that you feel very guilty about. And it's usually to do something very unimportant. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, that, that's tricky stuff. I, uh, I'm i a
1: pretty anxious person.
0: So my procrastination and my more productive times are pretty uh, extreme. You know, it's yeah, I'm either just like on fire and cranking through as many emails and scripts as I possibly can or... You know, I'm in bed or on the couch.
1: So, you don't procrastinate really?
0: Uh, no, no, I, I definitely do. I definitely do. I think it's much more tied to like just how I'm feeling about myself overall. You know, I think my procrastination is like definitely linked with a general sense of lethargy or or depression. You know what I mean? So, like, if I'm not being creative in some other way or if I'm not like getting out very much or seeing other humans, right? Like as a freelancer, I could just stay at home all day for days at a time. And that's when procrastination really kind
1: of creeps its head in. So, right. you know, it's important. I guess you've me talked to, like, about, sorry, to no, no. you've talked about a few tools that you use to like turn off the internet and stuff and like shut sure things out. Right. Yeah, yeah, the internet can be pretty gnarly. I use Freedom, which
0: actually uh, Melissa Hunter turned us on to in her episode about a year ago. So Freedom like lets you list what sort of websites you like want to block. It's like a custom list. So you can just like be like everything or I can be like everything but Gmail, you know, and it just kind of like helps break those patterns. Lately, I've been uh, writing a lot on paper, like with a pen, the old-fashioned way as a way to kind of like loosen up and also not be distracted by the internet, which is kind of, I think, probably everyone's number one distraction.
1: Yeah. No, I've, I've had a really bad run recently. Like I've had all these projects that I've been pitching around and being very excited, like just, you know, verbally. Mm-hmm. But I know that if I like write, you know, like, like just keep investing time in them, they'll, something's going to happen with them and I'm just having a really hard time focusing on them and not just like playing with my daughter or you know making another coffee for myself
0: yeah so (sighs) having a
1: kid that's really complicated right because then
0: your free time is um genuinely valuable you know yeah
1: especially while they're awake right okay well i think no real solutions I think maybe (laughs) this is just my therapy session on the the podcast. So the
0: things you can do besides just like taking care of yourself, which I think is a big part of it, is focusing on like picking a project, like deciding which one you're working on first and like do that
1: one until you are done. Well, do you like make rules for yourself? Like I can't use the internet for two hours or I'm not going to eat dinner until Mm -hmm. I'm done with this thing? Yeah, or like word counts or something. You know, Joss Whedon talks about dessert first, which is the opposite of that.
0: Where he rewards himself just by sitting down, he gets to eat a piece of cake. Like just starting to write. <laughs> yeah. Which I I'm quite fond of. I think that's really funny. And that like is a good it's like I think there's a self flagellation with writing that can be a bit of a bummer.
1: I honestly think that I, I know as dumb as this sounds and but I think it's relatable too, I think part of it is like this election <laughs> that's going on right now sure. that's gonna be over in a couple of days, that will definitely be over by the time this podcast comes out. It's like making me just very stressed out all the time and wanting to read the news and going to, you know, 538.com, like refreshing 538 to see what Nate Silver has to say about the current state of the polls. And I, I have trouble like, you know, just relaxing and like disappearing into like my creative thoughts while such a big thing is going on that I feel like is just so fascinating. I've never ever, I am I mean, I've always liked politics, but I've never been like this fascinated with the minute to minute ticks of this election, you know? Sure. Sure. So well, I, I mean, think, I think when it ends, hopefully I'll, I'll be able to get back into my life a little better. Yeah. I, I think that, um,
0: th- the, this election is like an extreme example of just something that, a distraction that you can get addicted to, right? Like you're addicted
1: to the anxiety and stress and circus. Yeah, what did he say? What did she say? I can watch CNN 24 hours a day. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that most people who are procrastinators can relate to that, whether it's
0: politics or video games. I was just giving you a hard time about video games. I play video games as well. Sometimes they're a good break like they force you to pay attention to something else, but sometimes you can't ever get back on track. And I think, you know, there are a lot of like little tricks you can do that are part of like everyone's process. You know, like I wake up extra early, I use email blockers, I write on a, you know, on paper and with a pen to start with all of that stuff. But, you know, ultimately it's just kind of like just sitting down and starting to do it. Right. Like that's kind of the main thing. You know, there's this comic artist, or I think maybe I've talked about before, Linda Berry. She does these kind of like collage sort of comics on, one's on writing, one's on drawing. And um, one of the big takeaways I had was like, she'll have you just as an exercise, just write letters or just draw. Just like put the pen on paper and move it. And eventually something will happen. You know, just the act of literally drawing, you know, gobbledygook. Right, is enough to get, like that physical act is enough to get your brain going. You know what I mean? And so I think a lot of it is
1: just finding ways back into that. Yeah. It's like what they say, like the easiest way to become a writer is to write. Yeah. (laughs) But that's like the hardest thing to do. Well, thanks, Matt, for your advice on procrastination. No problem, man. I'm really hoping that come Wednesday... When the election is pretty much locked in there, that I will be able to get back to work. I hope so, too. I'm sure everything will be fine. And this podcast will be out well after the election. So, you know, we'll just hey, assume whoever that it turned out great. Yeah. I think, I think whoever wins, it's going to be okay. I mean, I think it's going to be horrible, but also okay. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm
1: regardless of who wins.
0: Cool. Well, uh, Oren, this was a great conversation slash therapy session. I'm sure our listeners can relate. I myself am a pretty hardcore procrastinator, but I have nothing else to do. So all I can do is sit in front of a computer and work or I hate myself for not working. So either way, typical Matt hmm
1: But before we go, Oren, do you have any
0: unpaid endorsements?
1: Okay, so my friend got the PlayStation VR set. Do you know about that? It's like a goggles and two handles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two kind of controllers that you hold, one in each hand. So for years, by years I mean like two years. The last two years, I've just been really sick and tired of people talking about how great VR and Oculus Rift and all this stuff is. Right? Because it's like been around forever. And yeah, okay, it's gotten a little better and the graphics are better. But I don't want to make a 360 degree movie because... Like, my tool as a director is the camera, right? And I get to choose angles and choose where you're looking and choose how things are edited. And you're throwing all of that out the window. And not all of it, but it's just such a different practice, right? But my friend got this thing. I was over at his place, and I had my baby strapped to my chest. And he was like, you got to try out this PlayStation VR thing. And I was like, well, I'm already here. Might as well do it. And I put the goggles on and I held the handles and I played this Batman game and it was like so incredible. I tried to bring my entire family over to his house yesterday afternoon to, to have them experience the same thing. It's like crazy. I mean, have you, have you used the PlayStation VR headset? I haven't used the PlayStation VR and I'm a little nervous about Oculus because
0: um, I get pretty motion sick and I think that's been an issue for people. Uh, okay. But I have, like, done, like, you know, the, like, film festivals have had VR and, like, certainly I've seen, like, the YouTube 360 stuff. And I'm kind of with you. Like, I really miss being able to choose camera angles. And also the lighting tends to suck, right? Because there's right. nowhere to rig anything because you can see a full 360.
1: So I think a well, so I have a friend, my friend, Mike Ashton works and he's worked in like one of the first VR production companies. They did a bunch of cool live action VR stuff and I just spoke to him and he said they're moving over to all CG and animation just because with, like you're saying with cameras, these 360 degree cameras are just so limited in mm-hmm. what you can do as a filmmaker and animation and video games. It's kind of unlimited and surreal how amazing the experience can be.
0: Yeah, so I, I mean, I think they're cool. What what did you like about the Batman experience that was different than your previous VR experiences?
1: Okay, well, first of all, I probably haven't put a VR headset on in like six or seven years. So how responsive it was mm-hmm. was crazy, and the handles that you're holding in your hands, like you lift them up in front of your face, and it looks like you have hands in front of your face. Everything is, is was cool. so sensitive to the angles to everything. So. In the Batman game, there's like this part where you have to like pick up the uniform and put it on yourself. And you literally like reach out with your hands, like pull the triggers. You pick up the, the Batman, you know, face mask and you put it on your own head and it's there. And so, I, you know, there's all these motion sensors, but there's also a camera above the TV that's like capturing your movements. And because mm-hmm. I had a baby strapped to me, it was like, I think a little less than ideal. <laughs> I think the PlayStation didn't know if my head was the head or my baby's head was the head. But uh, other than that, it, like, worked, like, seamlessly. And, you know, the Batman story, right? Bruce Wayne's parents were shot when he was a little kid in this alleyway. And so you go through that scene, but you see it through the eyes of of Bruce Wayne. And so you are, like, short. You're like a kid. And so just standing there and looking up, you see your parents are really tall. And I don't know. It just feels so weird. And the goggles are, you know... It it looks like you're in front of a gigantic screen. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It's just, It it was just really cool, and I can't wait to go back there and try it some more without a baby strapped onto me. So I guess I was curious if you think, like what you think about, like should we as filmmakers care about VR or should we not worry about it?
0: Yeah, you know, it's a thing I think about, right, because I think a lot of our favorite filmmakers – have embraced the technological changes, right? And like for better or for worse, right? Like Zemeckis is is probably my favorite example of a, like a true innovator that made movies that would have been impossible prior to him stepping in, you know, like he invented motion capture and, you know, Back to the Future is a, a huge movie for me. But then also like, you know, Beowulf
1: and like Polar Express happened because of that same impulse, right? Right. And I'm sure it's all it was the big building blocks for avatar and all the James Cameron's thing. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I, you know, you don't want to be left in the dust. Like
0: someone is going to make a really incredible, you know, 3d virtual reality experience. That's going to change the game and it's going to be really meaningful to people. And I guess the question you really just have to ask yourself is what sort of like, what, why are you approaching this medium? Right? like, some people, I think, are doing it maybe because it's a bit of a land grab and there's an opportunity to make your name in a more significant way there because the field is a little less... Um, yeah, it's the Wild uh, West. Yeah, it's a Wild West. Yeah, yeah. Which, look, man, hey, look, we're both internet guys. Like, It's not like we grew up wishing that we could make videos for YouTube. It didn't exist, right? Mm-hmm. So there's no shame in that. But I think that... You know, the thing of like just missing the craft of filmmaking is is such a thing for me that I think I'm okay with television being in a huge boom right now, movies still being viable. Like I think there's still plenty of room for single screen experiences,
1: yeah. And sometimes you see like a really good movie. Like, have you seen Ten Cloverfield Lane? Not yet. No. Pretty solid movie. There's three actors in like one location. and it's like riveting nonstop. And so, I think like seeing movies like that reminds me of how Mm -hmm. unimportant the crazy tricks are, you know, the the gadgets and all that stuff. And Mm -hmm. I used to think that this 360 degree VR thing would go the way of the 3D TV, which nobody cares about now. But I think I'm wrong. I think in video games, it's going to be staying around for a while. In movies, I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, I think that video games have more in common with three D technology or VR technology than movies do. Basically, right. right. And, I, and I think it's a okay to like play video games in a VR environment. That's kind of what you're looking for. Like, there's an immersion element to it that's different than the emotional elements of cinema. And uh, right, it's okay for them to be different
1: forms. Have you ever wanted to like work in video games? Like, you see a cut scene from a video game, and you're like, "Holy crap, that was directed so well." It's like better than most movies I've seen. I do, I do remember ever think about filmmaking in video games. Well, I remember uh, the Warcraft, like those old Blizzard
0: animatics, were mm-hmm. incredible. Like Warcraft Three, those cutscenes were so good. So yeah, I did think about it, but the workflow of three D animation, as I'm sure you can attest to, is just like so slow and so contrary to the things that I love about filmmaking. You know, like I like being on set with everyone and like pitching jokes and moving the camera and you don't get to do any of that stuff in 3d. So I kind of quickly realized what I was good at and what I liked and what was maybe not for me.
1: Yeah. What about you? You never know. Cause it, well you look at these like hundred million dollar Marvel movies and like those are all just done on green screen with like CG body doubles and you know, there's like cool scenes of like a a romantic scene in an apartment and then there'll be like a 90% CG scene right you know and i think there's something cool about being able to do both of those things to me like scope is is like something i really is am working on you know yeah i um, mean i'm i love a good vfx film for sure so howard
0: the Mom. duck man howard Marvel. the duck I'm, I'm telling you give me a call. they're making a new one right oh is has that been announced i don't think so i was just saying i want to direct howard the duck
1: oh so, Matt, what about you? Do you have an unpaid endorsement? I do. I just saw the movie Moonlight,
0: which everyone oh, is talking yes. about. And boy, I thought it was great. Really? What's it about? So it's about it's it's three chapters in a young man's life growing up in Miami in the eighties during the crack epidemic. So the first one, he's like a little boy, and he's sort of kind of becoming aware of, you know, his mother's addiction. And also befriending oh, like a local drug dealer who kind of becomes a father figure. And then the second installment basically is his adolescence and sort of him coming to terms with his homosexuality. And then the, th- I don't want to spoil too much. Okay. But then is the it the th- same actor for all the parts? It's three chapters? different actors. It's three different actors for the two leads. The mother who is Naomi Harris is the mother and she's consistent throughout all three chapters. And it was really great. So it, it was, it was really wonderful. Like every single performance is incredible, but I was lucky enough to see it with a and a afterwards. And it was one of those experiences where like every single actor that they announced was there. I was like super excited because they were so good. And then also it makes you realize that there's not a bad performance in that film. Like every single character, every single age is incredible. And
1: who directed it?
0: Barry Jenkins is his name. Who did uh, He did a small movie called Medicine for Melancholy that takes place in oh, San yeah. Francisco. So it was really great. But then, so during the Q&A, Barry Jenkins, the director, is like so smart, so cool, so like eloquent, like just like, gr- he's the sort of director that you just admire so much for their skills at public speaking. He's like so good. Mm-hmm. But the thing that really was great to me is that you know, he talked about how hard it was to shoot and like, you know, Naomi Harris shot for three days and she's probably in 20 minutes worth of the movie. Like it was still kind of not a run and gun, but still, still a guerrilla indie movie and it's gonna win Oscars. The performances are really incredible. It's nuanced and thoughtful and kind of all of those things that, you know, when you're rushing, you worry that you're going to miss out on like the little subtle pieces that we you know we always talk about trying to cherish and capture they nail even though it's still like a single camera and they're still like running around and it was still a hard shoot you know and so i just found it really inspiring so that's my recommendation i think it's rolling out nationally slowly over the next few months but i guarantee it will be up for an oscar so if you want to get ahead of the game go ahead and go see moonlight now and support
1: independent cinema cool Okay, well, thanks, Matt. Thanks for just having a little chat without any guests. Just chilling. Damn guests, man. Getting in the way. never get to talk to each other. Yeah, man. Well, this episode was great. If you have any questions or
0: thoughts or any insight for our previous questions, you can shoot us an email at justshootitpod at gmail.com or tweet at us at justshootitpod.com. I tweet at Mr. Matt
1: and I'm at Smitey Pileg. And this episode was edited by Eric Krapow or thanks. Eric, whatever you want to say, Eric, music
0: was provided by the free music archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks everyone.
1: See you later. Well, I have one. It's kind of lame, but my friend do it over again. No caveat. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So yes, I have an unpaid endorsement. I think a lot of people already know about it, but my friend got the That's another caveat. That's another caveat. Man, what's wrong with the caveat? You do it literally every single time. (laughs) I know.